Welcome to the Chasing Thoughts podcast. Listen in as Mindy, Keith, and their guests take a deep dive into their own minds and souls to investigate the beauty of imperfection, challenge their beliefs, and embrace the richness of living a truly authentic life. Welcome to Chasing Thoughts. Hello, everybody, and all of our Chasing Thoughts pod squad. Today, we have Sin with us. It's Sin Posner Galliana. Yes. Is that right? Cynthia is my full name, so, but I go by yeah, Sin. Beautiful. Sin Posner Galliana is a bicultural and bilingual, having been raised in the U.S. by a Mexican mother and an American father. She started her career in the entertainment in- industry in Hollywood as an agent trainee at William Morris Agency before jumping to work for production houses where she wrote and produced her first feature for Amazon entitled Undateable John, <laughs> I love that, and developed a pilot for Warner Brothers. That is so cool. I can't wait to hear a little bit about that. And then I really, I didn't give it in the intro, but I really want to hear more about your story that made your book possible. So share a little bit more with our guests about who you are and sort of the pieces of life that carved you into the human that you are today. Sure. Uh, long story short, let's you know, condense that. Um, so yeah, I've, I was raised in Florida and then moved to New York for a bit and Los Angeles. I ended up working at William Morris Agency before it was called uh, William Morris Endeavor. And I thought I wanted to be an agent trainee, but I'd always been writing. I I had a record deal when I was really young. So I was writing, starting writing songs, then writing scripts for TV and film. And it took a long time uh, being there and working the business that I got a film produced, Dateable John, and it made it on Amazon. Um, that story was about actually when I got a DUI and I had to get sober and I met a guy in one of the 12 step groups who was also getting sober. So it's a comedy take on two individuals who are highly messed up trying to get it together. And that movie made it among all the other scripts that I had written that were like, no rejection, rejection, rejection. And I was proud of it. It's on Amazon. And, um, then I kept working the business in Hollywood and it's a great business. You have to love it, have the passion. And I'm a, I am love writing. It's the zone that I am most happy in. And, um, but there was a certain thing that happened being in a place like Hollywood, for me at least, um, I got caught up in the rat race, caught up in wanting more, wanting more, wanting more. And that's not only to say the business of the entertainment, it's it's being in the United States or any part of the world. If you're, we're always wanting more, right? And we're wanting more from the outside in. And I was not okay with myself. I was a lot of addictions, alcohol, pot use, a lot of opiates. I got caught up in opiate use. And it's like, just to get through the day, to get through um, a place that I was not okay in after some time. A lot of people are okay and, and they love it and they've become huge successes. I was a little bit successful. I've, you know, made you know enough money to to live. But I was I was fulfilling myself from the inside out and not um 
not acknowledging the traumas that I had gone through in my life and attracting bad relationships due to those traumas, daddy issues, the typical, right? And so it took a midlife crisis, an existential crisis, which to me was just started as a breakup of what I thought was, you know, going to be something. And it caused me to break down, break up, break down my insides. But I was still chasing something and something led me to Mexico, which was a guy online that I met and um, got me to Mexico to still continue that chasing of the outside instead of the inside. And when I discovered this guy in Mexico was another of the same kind of beast that I have always attracted, a type of narcissistic, abusive, you know, but I'm not a victim. I'm, you know, the same kind of unavailable person I was at least. And when I was in Mexico, I discovered something that I had not ever thought that I would even know about, which is not only my roots, because I'm half Mexican, my mom's Mexican, um, but it's like the time stood still. Time here is very slow. I'm still in Mexico, by the way. And time here is just so slow and you can stop and hear your thoughts and hear your insides. And so I started to do a lot of introspective work here, meditation, yoga, and, you know, and I, I found myself for the first time. And so I wrote this book, uh, Mexico Time, I'm here, um, that says this journey of leaving my my ex boyfriend and my ex country, which is the United States, and um, it was also during right before COVID, and you know we were not okay in the U.S. you know politically for me, and I had to I, I was ensconced here in Mexico during COVID, and it was the best. It was like the silver lining for me and for a lot of people that I know, like when you have to be ensconced with just yourself and find out what's going on, what's moving, what's ticking, what is hurting. Um, we have to deal with that at some point. And it took a lot of dealing with. So here I am, this person today, still dealing with the issues, with the triggers, with just being myself in a daily day basis, you know. But I think I'm a much deeper person, more authentic, which I don't think I was authentic back then. I didn't even know myself, right? So becoming authentic with yourself before you can be authentic with other people it's like knowing yourself so um that's the kind of a roundabout that's yeah. amazing i just think your story is so relatable for so many people because there's that feeling of i'm not supposed to be living like this right this doesn't feel good to my body i'm not happy every day i'm not at peace which I think American culture sort of, uh, you know, shovels us down a hole that is not healthy for a lot of us. And a lot of us can't thrive in. And then we feel guilt and shame about not being able to survive in this, you know, fast paced society. And we want to get out. And then some yeah. of us have the courage to jump and get out. Right. And that's your story. And that is so cool because I think we probably have a lot of listeners who are on the fence and they're like, oh, I could never really move. I can never really do this, but you can. <laughs> well, it, so it takes a breaking point to do that, yeah. right? And it's like what you said, I was so fortunate. I had all the things. I had all the, the, you know, the bags, the shoes, the cars, the apartment. I mean, I had 
a great life for myself, but not happy inside. So all those things don't matter. All the working and that struggling and like the 24-hour treadmill, go, go, go. And it's like when you just collapse. Like, and it wasn't even a courage that took me to make the move. It was like, I had no other choice. It was either a suicidal feelings of internal, like, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't. And those thoughts start to like catch mm -hmm. up to you. And now I wake up happy. Yeah, it took a jump. It took a jump to finally make the move, get rid of my apartment, get rid of my things, you know, that we so hold on to, like the beautiful bags, the beautiful everything, you know, that we love and stuff, my, you know, a chair that I loved, you know, little things that don't matter, just go, right? And I I am in a town called San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, which is one of the, it's it's known as the number one, number two biggest expat community um, and digital nomad community because the Wi-Fi is great here. It's cheap here. It's beautiful. It's like a little Barcelona, if you can even imagine that kind of um, vibe with the cobblestone streets and it's just, it's like a little paradise. And so a lot of people come here um, and find a home. And there's so many expats here. And it's kind of like maybe Chiang Mai in Thailand or, you know, a Bali. A lot of, a lot of people just, you know, want to take off and that's so far away. So a lot of people, especially in Texas, um, California, a lot of people move to Mexico. And the beach towns are great. But this town is it's a, it's a little, it's called a Pueblo Magico, which means a magic town. So oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's got beautiful. that kind of fairy tale kind of feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I think it I is. Yeah. A lot of people who have left the United States, and I know a lot of people who have just left the traditional thought of how we have to live, and they're either consuming less and working simpler jobs or they're freelancing or they're doing the van life or they've made a different choice for themselves so that they don't have to participate in a structure that's making them sick. Right. And it's that realization of like, I'm sick. I need to, I need to make the change. So yeah. like you said, it, it, it takes that step of First, being able to hear the voice that you're not okay, and then hearing a voice that I need to make a change, and then going with your intuition of what is that change to be like. So um, for me, it had to be traveling to know that this kind of town was where I could see my a, a real home in. Um, yeah. But I had to see part a lot of the rest of the world to know that these are great places I can visit, but when you travel and you feel a place that could be home and say, like, take that leap to do it. Some people have families that can't kids in school. You can't take them out. Um, but that's why I guess here, the expat community is older. So it's like after a, a, you retire, you're divorced, you're widowed. What do I do in the United States by myself? And with my social security, maybe you haven't had a, um, a big saving. So what do I, where can I live off of social security? <laughs> like it's so hard in the States, anywhere in the, in the States. Yeah. You know. very true. Yeah. I have a question. You said something about listening to your inner voice. My experience is that sometimes I hear my inner voice and then I have so much self self beat up and shame and like shooting on myself that 
sometimes I don't listen to it for a year or two years. Like I know it's there, but I'm not trusting it, you know, in whatever specific situation. And so I think that I'd like to hear more about that. Like how long did you have this sense in your soul of like, this isn't working for me before the huge thing that happened to break it up? It was a couple of years and uh, I knew that I was, I was in a dark spiral. I was not in a good place, um, but I was in denial of that. And when you do hear that voice and you do hear all this like, nah, you know, or you want to do something, let's say, let's, for me, writing a book was like my biggest bucket list, but no, you're not good enough. You can't even compete with those amazing authors out there. What are you thinking? You know, what is that voice? What is that little self-critic? And what is that, you know, then the judgment voice? And so, I mean, <laughs> I was grateful to, I had done some therapy and also when I was really young acting classes that the teacher, as well as a therapist that I had once said, put yourself in three chairs. Cynthia, your, you know, greatest self is in the middle. The one that can kind of, you know, mediate and hear things. And then go over here, who's over here? And to me, it was like this abandoned little child that was stepped on or hurt by certain people, um, you know, bashed on by my dad, you know, my grandpa was cheating on my grandma, all these things that I was like, not okay. And little and traumas that happened. My dad was bipolar and also suicidal. So I had to grow up with that. Like, I'm not good enough to stay for my father to stay alive, not knowing it was just, he had a mental disability, had a mental disorder. It wasn't me, you know, but as a little kid growing up with that. So I know where those voices come from. Like, I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. You can't do that. You can't have that big thing that you want or that anything. And then the judgment, right? So then I went from the little abandoned hurt child to like a, oh, who's in the other chair? And all these voices are like who we're dealing with inside, right? Not, not like multiple personalities, but like the voices within, like who yeah, are those voices? Absolutely. Where yeah. are they coming from? And then the judgment voice. And then my addictive self went into, like what I learned is as a little child, I grew a very, I hate the word Aphrodite, but it was like a sexual Aphrodite that took over to protect this little girl. I had to become... I was an addict. I like, you know, used boys, used alcohol, drugs, anything to escape whatever this little girl was hurting from. So I learned this with a lot of therapy. And it, it was like, these were the voices struggling within. And once I became okay with them, I hear them on occasion. I'm like, okay, I hear you. I'm like, no, I feel good today. I'm not going to listen to whoever's talking to me right now of this little bashing voice. And then hearing the good voice. Yeah. It's so hard to even hear the good voice when you're dealing with all this other crap, right? And the good voice is like, do it. Make the jump. Pack yeah. your car. Pack your apartment. Go bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Find something better. Like, I, who's to say I could go back to Los Angeles or New York or someday in the far future. But right now in the years, the last three years and however many more years to come, 
I'm ha I'm happy here until I hear that voice of what am I to do now? And it's like day by day voice, right? Like, what do we do today? Totally. In the little tasks of life, you know, do we go right or do we go left? Do we go to the bank or do we go over here? What Can you use that voice to tell you what to do in your day or go or like, I don't know. It's yeah. I totally can relate to what you're saying. And I think it's so beautifully said and you're so vulnerable and honest about this experience. And I always kind of chuckle in the back of my head because every human has this experience. Everybody has trauma. Everybody has childhood stuff. Of course there's degrees, but nobody gets out of life unscathed. Everybody's dealing with healing. And when we can just be more honest about it, it's like the relief goes to everybody. It floods the room. <laughs> right. And then there's not even the trauma. It's like, let's say social trauma, you know, of how, of being a woman and what you're supposed to look like, especially in Hollywood. After 30, you're, you're ignored. You done. are yeah. a ghost. You're done, right? Especially after a breakup, you're done. You're never going to, I mean, you're just done. The 20 somethings from all over the most beautiful women in the world are coming to Hollywood. So what are you competing with? So then like for me, skinny disease happened. And like, I have to look a certain way. I have to be so skinny. I'm not, I have to eat a salad with lemon. I have to I like, and then that's social trauma on yeah. top of all the other crap we have to deal with and, or thinking you have to look a certain way to keep that man or to get that man. And oh my God. Yeah. Um, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned sort of the, do you call it Aphrodite? Is that what you called that? Like, because fawning or effing, you know, is one of the trauma responses, right? Fight, flight, fawn. And it's one that we don't talk about a lot. And it's one that particularly in American culture gets shamed. Yeah. <laughs> And, and so I'm so glad you mentioned that just because that's another thing that we need to talk about more so that everybody can normalize it and say, Hey, yeah, you know, this thing happens. This is part of, you know, my makeup and there's nothing shameful about it. Right. Yeah, do you go into a lot of this kind of feeling stuff in your book or is your book more the story of the outside pieces of meeting a man and falling in love? Tell us more yeah. about like the juice. Of it's, your book. it's all the inner workings of, of. Well, it starts with the breakup and how it happened. You know, I caught my boyfriend cheating on me, like straight up right there. And I was like, oh God, do I ignore this? Do I pretend it didn't happen? Cause he didn't, he didn't know that I knew. And then all these things happened. And I, I was like, the, earn, the, the journey begins. So I'm very real and honest in everything that's happening. So, but I'm, I wrote it from a point of, of, after healing, mm -hmm. being able to go back and being like, oh my, like the catharsis, the catharsis had to happen to put it on the page. Um, yeah. It was actually a script. It started as a script that I had a director um, uh, wanting to take on, but the writer's strike happened. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't even sell the script for who knows how long. And at this point I was in Costa Rica doing a yoga retreat. I had nothing to do at night. So I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do my bucket list. And I'm going to put that script that I had written like a few years prior um, into a book because I can't, I can't sell the script. And I had always wanted to write my first book, but again, those voices of you're not good enough. You're, what do you think? Who do you think you are? 
but I just put it on the page as my voice of like what had happened and the inner struggle, the inner voice. And at the same time going, oh my God, I need a Xanax. I need a pill. I can't do this. And so it's actually from insanity, from, you know, it starts with like, I'm stalking my boyfriend. I'm what I'm like outside his house going, I know, you know, I got to know, I got to know. So this can finally end so I can have proof that I'm not good enough. So I can have proof that this is all a scam and this is all a lie. And I got to get out. I got the proof. So then the, co you know, I didn't expect, okay, I got the proof. And now what? A collapse of like, who am I? Yeah. Okay. I'm not good enough. What the fuck do I do about it now? Excuse me. Right. <laughs> oh my God. And then my best friend is like, well, get, get on Bumble. Get a guy. I meet a guy that's actually in Mexico, but he's like back and forth to LA. So it was like a convenient, uh, me in my mind thinking it's going to be an, I mean, a hookup that gets me out of the trauma of that, but it never turned into a hookup. It was like the realization was so fast of like, this is the same guy that I have been continuously bringing into my life. And I was, um, so I'm, yeah, it's inside, it's the inner journey and all this stuff that's happening, but I'm still, um, and that was what was so great about from a script to a book is in a script, you can't write all that stuff. You're just writing, yeah. it's like a rom-com and making and writing the smaller, smaller text because you have to be visual and then having the fun of writing a book from what I had already beginning, middle and end and writing all the stuff that was happening in those moments was, was to me like, Oh my God, I can, I can, I can make, you know, one line into like 10 pages because of all this stuff that, that yeah. I could get out. And I had so much fun with it that, um, and I've had some good reviews, not only for friends, but a lot of strangers that I don't know. So on Amazon, I start seeing the reviews. I'm like, I don't know this person. And <laughs> like, I, you know, or like people asking me, how do I make the move? Like, what, where do, how do you get to that town? And it was like really fulfilling. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Isn't it so neat how when, we really become authentic and share our stories without shame. It helps other people and it attracts other people and it lights other people's life up. And it's just so beautiful. And, um, you know, just talking with you a small time here today, I'm sure that your book is going to have tremendous impact on a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you. I hope so. Um, I love when I go to book readings and an author touches me that I, and their, or their book touches me on profound levels, you know, so many yeah. books out there that um, just change your whole way of thinking perceptions. Yeah. yeah. Did you find that as, as you were writing the book or even when you were done, so you had done so much work in order to get to that point to, to turn the, the screenplay into the book, but did you feel even like a greater sense of, of healing or growth afterwards? To see the stuff on the page that was like, that really happened, that was my growth and catharsis to see how much I had evolved as a human being. Um, and also having the book and putting it out there um, 
to be able to sell by myself and not have to wait for a producer, a director, uh, the money uh, was so, um, it was powerful for me because I, uh, for the first time was like, well, I don't even care if it happens or doesn't happen. The director says, well, yes, maybe no now. I'm on another project now. The writer strike happened. It's like, oh, will my agent like try to sell it now? I did not care because I had my bucket list because I had this thing that I'm like, I can sell this, you know, for $5 and that $5 in Mexico is like lunch, right? In LA it's $25, but like I sell yeah. one book today, I can pay my lunch. And that was like my, ment my mentality. I didn't care anymore about the rest because I had this thing that I created and I could get to people um, if they wanted it or not. And I didn't have to sell like, oh, I, I didn't have to sell anything. It's just like a kind of like word of mouth. And people started to notice. It's just like when you watch a series or a movie, when it's that good, you have to tell your friends, you have to watch yeah. this. I want, cause I want to talk about it. You know, I want, yeah. I want to talk about it with you. It would turn into that kind of thing. And I noticed uh, talking about certain events or elements like did that really happen yes that's really happened <laughs> you know um so yeah it, it felt really good to have a thing that i that i did and that might you know people that are you know so scared to write something out there for themselves it's like just get it done who cares it's for you first right it's your mm. catharsis what else are you going to do we have with all this time of our lives right just put it on the page, whether you, nobody ever sees it or you're like, okay, this might be good enough to like do something with. And maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but it's like, you have to just do these things. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like the more healed I become, the more I live in this place where it's just not right or wrong or good or bad right? You're like, well, this is my expression. I want to write. I want to go do this thing. If people like it or don't, right? You you start to become sort of set free from being a slave to producing things to make someone else happy or get someone else's approval. And that could be a singular person, a boyfriend, or a society, right? Or all of LA or the movie culture, whatever it is, when you really take a look at how much slavery we have in that sense it's shocking yeah for acceptance in any job that you are in you know that you have to prove yourself um you have to be liked in in a work environment you have to like put on this mask and be this thing to be liked so you know when you get to the point of like you trust yourself and you are good enough whatever you're doing and you're proving you know, little by little um, in any work environment and any, anything that you don't care about the results or you don't care about people pleasing and you don't care about these things. Like, can you imagine, you know, an actor or a writer or a director that has this huge thing and then all of the reviews, you know, we're also different. Some people like it, some people don't, but these people, do they, do they crack, you know, when they see a bad review of themselves, like these huge celebrities? Maybe, I don't think so, you know, they probably don't read it because they don't want to have to deal with it. But like, yeah, you, you can't care. Yeah. Do you, do you think being in Mexico 
help with that aspect? Have you ever thought about that? Like what it would be like trying to write and release this book, but still in LA, would it be a different whole mindset that you would have had? Can't hear. I think, yeah, well, you broke up a little bit. Did you need Keith, Keith to repeat the question? I think you're, are you on Frozen now? <laughs> I thought that was a good question, Keith, while we wait for uh, Sin to become on Frozen, because I'm curious about that, too. And, you know, I was just reading you about... Read oh, maybe oh. she'll look back on. Uh, yeah. For those of you listening on just audio, uh, the internet just went off, so she has to log back on. Um, I was just reading about nervous system regulation and how being around other regulated people helps you stay regulated, right? And being around dysregulated people dysregulates you. So I'm sure yeah. there's some truth to that in a larger way. Go ahead and uh, answer the question now, Sen. Sorry, we lost you. Um, hold on. Ignore this other. Um... Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Keith, can you, what is the question again? I, I got cut off. I'm so sorry. Oh, no worries. So I was wondering, like, do you think the mindset would be the same if you were in LA writing this book and trying to put it out compared to being in Mexico and doing it? No way. No way. Yeah. Um, part of me and with my friends from the industry in back in LA, I mean, I still have this little thing of like, oh, what do they think I left? You know, I, I'm one of the people that, mm, you know, had a, had a little success and then I, I, I'm out of here. You know, I still have that notion of like, what do they think of me? I don't care. I speak to them. Some have read it. Some love it. Some, I, I don't, I don't care, but absolutely not. It's because I'm in Mexico and don't care because here it's kind of bohemian and even my dress is different. Like in LA heels, you know, little outfit here. I don't care. Like I don't put makeup on when I go outside, I wear like super bohemian and I've, I've gotten in this place that I just don't care. Yeah. There's no way I would have even been able to write it back in LA. I don't, I don't think, yeah, that's a very valid point for sure. Yeah, I have a, a similar um, story to yours, or this is how I relate to yours. Uh, I was in like local politics for a while and the environment was really intense. There was a lot of what I would call like backstabbing manipulation, right? Like those types of relationships, really high um, visibility. And it was so assaulting to my soul because I'm a highly sensitive person. And the message I kept telling myself for a long time that was really hard was something like, if you were stronger, you would have been able to do it. And so I wonder like, what kind of message was it for you and your, your internal dialogue that kept you trapped? And then how did you sort of free yourself from that? Ooh. That's a big one. Um, that's a, the, the politics and the stuff that interests me so much. And it's like, it's such a cutthroat world. And then like looking at you now, you're just so beautiful and, and like simplified, right? Like how did you come from that world? Which like it's, it's cutthroat and it's, it's shark tank type. Yep. Um, 
I had to like pull myself out of out of it for a moment and then that type of healing or that type of like the non-caring came in that I was like the snakeskin kind of like comes off mm -hmm. right I felt like this total I was shedding the snakeskin which mm -hmm. in the book there's this chapter of like oh my god I'm actually pulling the yeah. skin off me of what I thought I used to be and now what am I becoming um and yeah it's a gradual process but um oh my god it's so relieving it's like the weight of my world is like right and it, it's like a, a small world a little bubble it's like everything that you lived I mean politics is politics so it's a grand world right but then when you kind of like leave that thing it's like you realize like oh my god like it's it's there it's never going away just like you know Hollywood and the films that I love and series are there politics is never going away what is happening right now is not going away as much as I don't want to read the news in my little pink bubble here in Mexico I'm still like oh my god what is happening right it's never going away but <laughs> Some people can stay in it. Some people stay in it until they no longer can't. And then they start dropping out. I remember when I was just, you know, in Hollywood and loving it. And like, so, oh, you know, go, I, I was, I was at that place of still loving my life. And one of the top executives that I respected so much was like, at one point going, I'm leaving, I'm going to Alaska and I'm going to buy a canoe company. And I'm like, <laughs> What? <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> you're the the top of the top of the chain here, and you took so long to get there, and now you're just like bye bye. And I didn't understand it until you know a few years later. I'm like, oh my god, I yep. get it. You know, yeah, yeah. It's so amazing. I commend you for leaving whatever you left. I'd like to hear that story on a you know. Were you about to say something, Keith, before I jump in? I, I just, just like just that analogy of of like the snake shedding shedding the skin. I just love that so much because from like when I watch like nature documentaries, it's not a pleasant thing. You know, it's it they, they like rub it against rocks. It's it's raw. It's itchy. It's painful, and that's like growth. And sometimes we have like that skin just kind of hanging off that we can't get off and until we can finally so yeah i mean everything that you're saying is just is is so impressive um yeah it's amazing yeah and i, I think I, the, the the visual of the snake do they, do they you think that they enjoy this shedding or it's like they have, you know yeah yeah cuz from what i i cuz i just watched one on cobras um and I mean, cobras freak me out anyways, you know, but I guess like e during that time, they're even more aggressive, mm. you know, so, so they're even more just because they're so angry and, and cranky because of all of that crap that's just coming off them. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable. That that's what growth is. Growth is very uncomfortable. Yep. Right. Yeah. That's kind of, you said something very similar to what I was going to say, which is just you know, Keith and I are both life coaches, but the reason why we put this podcast together is because we didn't want 
to continue this narrative that is associated with life coaches sometimes about be happy all the time. You know, mm -hmm. once you get here, you're going to be happy and never have a problem again, right? There's sort of this selling thing that happens. And it's not only not true, but we wouldn't want it even if we could have a magic wand and be happy all the time. Like feeling these feelings, shedding your skin, carving yourself out. Those are the rich experiences of being alive and being human. <laughs> and that's the stuff that I think it's important to talk about more is it's not a quest to get rid of those hard feelings or get rid of the continual shedding and revealing. It's learning ways to manage it with more grace and ease, right? And learning new tools. That's beautiful. Learning the new tools and like press rewind, you know, and, you know, delete and start the start from play again, you know, and what are the tools that we learn? What are, the, what are those tools and saying, Hey, I have a toolbox. My previous toolbox was any form of addiction from, you know, money, success, power to all of the, you know, numbing addictions to what's my new toolbox. What do I do? Meditate for me, meditate, yoga, watch podcasts like, like yours. I I'm so into podcasts because I like to see people and hear people. It's like Ted talks, but like interview style. I love these kind of podcasts and um, or calling or getting together with friends of like mind that are in the same um, place of of growth, right? Um, when we can have these conversations and it's not just like, hey, what are you doing tonight? Hey, what are you wearing tonight? You know, these superficial things that I was once was, but having these conversations on a deep level is so different than what we're used to of like, oh my God, you how or the question of like how are you today oh do you really want to know how i, how I am today yeah. <laughs> or like hey i'm cool everything's fine but no actually i'm going through like an inner in turmoil over here because you know whatever stupid thing that's happening or not stupid thing that's happening you know for life and death over here or family and what i've noticed is like now at my age people are actually talking about the deep dark family shit Right. Mm. And it's like when we were kids or teenagers or or 20s, we didn't talk about this stuff because it was also like the secret, the shame, yep. you know, yeah. but now at this level in time, we, you know, that's the first thing people want to talk about. And I love it. I love having conversations like this or being in group environments. I do a lot of 12 stuff, but like being in those group environments where people are just like, talking about themselves and I may not even know these people by first names but I know everything about their lives like a lot of these people know more about me than my actual blood family because my you know my blood family sometimes is still in denial of what actually is you know or what's happening in you know our the dysfunction of what was and still is right and so when you're in a group of people or just one-on-one -on -one, and you could discuss this dysfunction, it makes it bearable. And yeah. I think that, you know, so that's my biggest tool is having people to be able to talk about this stuff with. And you don't have to pay a therapist. You can actually have a close knit circle of friends. I'm, I'm not, you know, 
therapy is fine. That's not what I meant. But like having these close knit circle of people that is your your new bloodline, you know, your new blood yeah. life or like day to day existence. Yeah, I heard you describe another tool that I think is really important. And I don't even know if you know you described it. And it's owning your own story that even if your parents say that never happened or your siblings or your friends or people say, well, it wasn't that bad or this, you have the right to own your own story. And in fact, if you're going to heal all the way and be your most powerful self, you have to own your own story. That's like part of the path. And then you gather people towards you that believe you and honor your story. And the other people can still be there, but you no longer have to rely on them. You can let them off the hook for believing or not believing, right? Because it's your story. And I think that tool, like knowing how to own your story, which you described so perfectly, is an important tool for people to know how to, how to get there. Absolutely. That brought to mind my struggle with my younger brother is like he he is so in denial of things that my dad might have said or you know verbal abuse that he might have said he doesn't want to talk about it because that's his still like his daddy it's like i don't i'm not ready to i it just and i want to be like no he did this to you and no he did this to you and it's like yeah okay when i can I'm my biggest struggle of, of days now is saying he is having his own experience. He is not ready or does it need to, you know, he's, he's fine the way he is now. I see his internal struggle. He's not even capable yet of dealing. Maybe he'll deal with it one day. Maybe he, he can't, maybe people just can't and don't want to, or don't need to. It's not my inventory to take. It's right. It's not, it's, that is, that's not the struggle, right? What you just said is like, yeah. I'm, and okay, owning your story and then letting go of that pent up resentment, pent up anger about it, because yeah. you're the only one being destroyed. What is the common saying? The poison is yours, not theirs. Like all the resentments I have towards my father and people, you know, they don't, they're not thinking about that you know so it's it's us so how do we deal with it how do we like let go of it put it in the garbage and like but you can't just let go of it you have to kind of process it and be okay with it and at some point acceptance and let go it's almost like what the five stages of mourning right you're letting go of whatever this little thing that happened to you because then at the ultimately it's like live your life and you know eat it breathe it, let go of it, like anything, you know, it took me a long time to be able to do that. I'm still doing that. It doesn't go away overnight, oh, yeah. but to be able to be, ah, oh, like I'm happy today. That story doesn't have to affect me today. You know, it takes so long for okay. me to be able to you know, be grateful, be walk out my door and be like, oh my God, I'm, I am in paradise. I'm super happy today or wherever we are in life, you know, like, um, yeah, letting, shedding the skin again, letting go of that story, first owning it, then being able to let go of it, to be able to say today, I don't want to, I don't want to 
feel those angry feelings. I don't want to, you know, so tired of it, you yeah. know, living my life so tired of these angry feelings, resentments. Oh God, let them go. <laughs> yeah. And I think that life is interesting. You know, people always joke about, you know, like the onion and the layers of the onion, but it's so true is something that I feel like I healed or let go of 10 years ago could resurface in my life again. And there's a whole nother level of letting go and healing that I wasn't aware of. And I always tell my clients that when we have like a big aha moment in session, I'm like, this is great, but don't think that you're like, oh, good, got that done. Like, no, things live with you your whole life and they won't control you anymore, but you're still in relationship with them in some way, right? And so you have to learn how to be in relationship with them. Yeah, and if you don't deal with them, I've lately had these things come up in dreams and I'm mm -hmm. like, oh my God, do I still, is my subconscious still making me deal with that thing yeah. or making me remember that situation? Like I right. thought I, yeah, I worked on this. Why is it coming up now? Why? Maybe because like that is helping you deal with something else yep. new. So how did I deal with that? You know, versus how am I going to deal with this? Or yeah, things that you still have to deal with. Oh my God. Yeah. The layers of the onion. Yeah. Daily basis. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about how you um like published your book. Was it difficult to get it published? How long has it been for sale? Like, where are you with the journey of bringing your book to the world? Well, once I had it and once I had my, um, I had a, uh, my agent look at it. I had friends look at it. I had an editor, a really good editor, tweak it through. And then I sent it to uh, publishing houses in New York and um, agents that are help with publishing. And all of them are like, okay, so you've done a movie. So you've sold some pilots. So whatever, but you're a first time author. We can't, you know, we're dealing with, again, huge authors. Like, yeah. oh, you know, first time author, come back, you know, your second book, maybe if you're first, it's like all these things kept coming up. And I was like, you know, I'm just putting it on Amazon. I don't care. At that point, I was like, it took a lot for me to put it up there. Um, yeah. But I was like, I'll just self-publish. And I'm already on the second one or a third idea that I have that maybe... I can go back to those publishing houses like, hey, I've had some success with this book. Here's my second or third. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I did self-publish. And at first I cared a lot. I was like, oh, you know, I have to now market it. Oh, I hate marketing myself. But, um, <laughs> uh, and then I was like, how, how do I do that? It's so hard. Authors... Uh, you know, it's hard. So many authors are out there, especially after the pandemic. How many people wrote their own book? And, yeah. you know, how many people are going to put it out there or get publishing deals? And then, yeah, again, all these voices of like, okay, now you have wrote the book. Who cares? Who cares? And so I, you know, put it out there. I had my best friends, you know, first read it and family, good reviews. And then it traveled through and I think it was the first strangers that I saw on the, my reviews that I was like, oh, 
people I don't know like it. And that was the first time I was like, ah, I'm going to continue this little process until a person appears perhaps to help elevate it. A movie yeah. appears perhaps, but until then it's just day by day. Like it's like, if I sell a book, what back to, if I sell a book, it's my lunch. Right. Um, it's just, I'm, I'm okay with where it is now, which I think is like a, you know, a good place for me personally at the moment. Yeah. Well, we're going to put the link to the book, your Amazon link uh, on the show notes, and we'll put any of your social handles or anything. So anybody who wants to kind of stay abreast of what you're doing in the world, which is awesome. Before we wrap it up here, is there any other sort of thoughts that either of you had arise that you want to talk about? Just a couple more minutes. I had a quick Keith, any question. questions for me? Yeah, I was wondering when you talked about separating the three chairs and you had the voiceover here. And I and I love that, especially with your background, almost like breaking your those Cast voices into, into characters. Yeah. Um did you notice if there was one voice that was louder than the other? Oh, in that process, they were screaming at each other. My abandoned <laughs> child was then screaming at the sexual Aphrodite, the addict self, going. I didn't need you to do that. You, mm. you know, all the worst names I was screaming. And then turning into that other person, I was like, but I protected you, but I am this. And it was like the struggle, the struggle between them. And then when I grasped that, what was happening, you know, my inside voice and like allowed them to talk to each other. Um, it was a he very healing thing like I then me I understood when one appeared and when the other appeared and how these voices like started to take on their own personalities that just became voices and then um my, my therapist at the time was like um can you stay in your abandoned child for a little bit longer throughout your day can you dress like your abandoned child can you can you become more this child than this other addict who has taken over your life. So I started wearing, you know, red Converse and, you know, little, you know, youthful, fun stuff. And I was living in my child a little bit more, listening to my child a little bit more. And that was so healing. And so, you know, eyes of youth, eyes of like innocence again, that I might've missed out on because I was in high school smoking weed and drinking and hanging with the wrong kinds of friends and had years of that, right? Because I wasn't living this little inner child's life. So, yeah. Wow, that, yeah, that was powerful. <laughs> yeah. Keith, do you think you know who are your two strongest voices? Like who would be in your chair? I think all of us have some form of an inner, inner child, but what would you call those two voices? Um, so I definitely have like the inner child. Um, and then the ones that kind of war back and forth right now are, um, the, the tough guy, you know, where I have to appear like I'm, 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 I, I hate confrontation, but if anything comes, I, I don't want to appear like I'm weak or anything like that, you know? And then, um, the hippie, which is 
the whole so I, i'm my social media my my name is master cheese um it's a, a nickname my niece gave me and it stuck and i'm like you know what that's gonna be the personality that's gonna be the character that i want to be and i like like you had said i started dressing differently I, like i wear even in the winter now i wear beach pants i'll like wear like long johns underneath or something you know but um you know grew the beard out and and just is sort of accepting that that hippie uh lifestyle because it's it's just all about peace and contentment it's not about possessions it's not about showing off um so i think those are my my two that kind of war back and forth and i feel like the inner child is more connected with with the hippie side you know than definitely than the than the tough guy side yeah and yeah. when your tough guy comes out do you hear him do you let him out or do you have to control him like you don't like him God, to come out or do you let him out when he when he's when he's you know prevalent it yeah he caused me a lot of problems for about 20 years where he would just take over and I, I i would remember like in my head screaming stop 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 and i couldn't i was just completely out of control um led to a divorce um luckily my wife and i were able to to repair that she was just amazing and and we've been together now for 28 years um, but now I had, and this was, I don't know, maybe about six months ago, um, a little altercation and I had to take somebody down that just would not calm down. And it was the most amazing thing because when I did, as soon as he was on the ground and I was on the ground with, I was like, okay, we're done. We're done. It's, it's over. So I was still completely calm in control and that was the first time in my life that i felt tough but calm at, at like the same time you know there was no anger in in the situation on my part at least um but it was funny because then afterwards i i that tough guy started screaming like oh you got to let people know like you would have you would have just tooled that guy up if you had you know and i'm like why i why there's no point to it so then i'm already judging myself because i didn't just lose my shit on the dude you know um i started judging myself oh see i'm weak i'm I'm a coward and, and stuff like that you know so he still tries to get out of control but after 20 years yeah just 20 years just a couple of decades that's all it took me to to be able to get uh kind of put that guy into uh into his place <laughs> Yeah, beautifully described, Keith, though, like about how you're the center, right? Like your consciousness, you're Keith. And so you can choose this guy to come out sometime or choose this, right? And you're not controlled by those those personalities anymore and those voices. Yeah. 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 Okay. I have a quick question for you guys before we shut off and then we can stop recording. What is success to you? For me, inner peace inner peace yeah you know that peace was the first thing that came to my mind because because happiness is a byproduct it's not something that's there so it's i want to be at peace i want to be content yeah yeah and that in that you know as more of the percentage of your day right you know you're not going to be like you said before happiness isn't always peaceful isn't always triggers happen everything happens you know shit happens so how can you cultivate inner peace in those moments yes to not you know bring bring that 
aggressive guy because I have her too, right? The aggressor. Like, how can we stay Zen? Like all of the teachers, being a Buddhist, how do we stay Zen and remove the suffering? The struggle is real, yes. How do we maintain like a Zen place of mind through yeah. what we're going through? Yeah. 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 And I think... I would add just a little bit different language to it. And the way that I talk to myself is I want to like myself. Like mm. I want to wake up and like myself at the end of the day, even if it was a shit day, I want to be proud of how I showed up. Right. I want to like myself. And that seems so simple, but man, when I think about how much of my life I've lived, just not liking myself, then you realize that's not simple at all. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And you know, I feel like we like ourselves by the choices we make. Yes. Because yeah. the choices that we have made previously cause, you know, cause and effect. Do not like yeah. myself for doing that choice, going against my true authentic self. But now in you know, yeah, you 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 made it through a certain thing. There's a million ways you could have gone navigated through that thing, but you want to choose right from wrong or like, you know, then you like yourself. And those moments that you don't, oh, I don't like myself for what I said or did to that person or in this situation. So becoming conscious of when you don't like yourself for that choice you make, because it's a daily day. It's a moment by moment thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You said it beautifully. I mean, that is, I think my biggest takeaway from this is just, yeah, you like yourself by your choices. That was so brilliantly said. So whether you speak up or stay quiet or talk to yourself kindly or talk to yourself mean or leave or stay, right? All of those, you are trying to align with your core self and that brings peace. And it also means that you need a lot of quiet time and investigation and reflection and all the time to know yourself. Otherwise you can't possibly navigate. <laughs> yeah, sure. So beautifully said. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Sin. I loved this conversation. I really yeah. appreciate your time. Thank you. I did too. You guys are fun. Great. And uh, authentic both. Like, and I love these kind of talk of, I mean, I'm going to leave with this. Yeah. Total introspection of, of, yeah of it all. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Chasing Thoughts podcast. Please support us by liking, subscribing, or leaving a review or comment. We would really appreciate it. If you'd like to be a guest, we would love to explore life and what it means to be human with you. Please email us at chasingthoughtspodcast at gmail.com.